It's great to be together. My name is Ryan. If uh, you haven't met me before, I'm part of the, the team here. And uh, today wanted to uh, share a word with you guys. Uh, and the title is up on the screen. It's uh, Praise is greater than problems. And wanted to kind of to share out of this space of our praise being greater than our problems. You know, last night, uh, you'll, you'll hear some huskiness in, in my voice and a disclaimer, it's not actually from a, a certain AFL game last night. I already knew I had some problems uh, with the throat. So most of me sitting there last night was like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Uh, not to yell uh, in, in, in frustration. Uh, but when I got to the, the stadium last night, I got to the football and there was this great uh, sense of anticipation and, and hype. I was bumping into friends and we were, we were excited a, a, about what was to come. And, uh, you know, there was a buzz. There was, a, there, was, there was some praise going on, I'll be honest, in the building. And uh, by the end of it, there was a few small minority of people who uh, were praising and they were also chirping uh, us as we were exiting, uh, grumpily, not praising any longer. And uh, there is this saying in sport that comes along that is uh, said to, to teams like the West Coast Eagles, they've had great success. They're, they're winners, you know, not so much like the Browns that, you know, not as successful, but maybe a new day is coming. Uh, you know, the, the reality is that it goes like this. It goes, you only sing when you're winning. I believe it comes from the Premier League, you know, the, the chanting and the singing and the praising. Uh, when a team uh, who's successful begins to lose, often when any team loses, kind of it goes quiet. And uh, normally the retort will be is you only know how to sing when you're winning. And, you know, last night was, was one of those experiences. Every time uh, the Eagles looked like they might rally, there was some praising, there was some, there was some clapping, there was some cheering, and then there was some awkward silence. And to be honest, there was a lot more awkward silence and grumbling uh, than praising. But I think when it comes to our everyday lives, this is a, a saying, I think, that is, is fit for the human race. That it's really easy to praise God, it's really easy to sing, it's really easy to declare good things when we're winning in life. You can walk in here on top of the world, things are going right, and you go, yeah, it's easy to praise God. But what does it look like when it feels like we're not winning to still praise God? What does it look like when you feel like you're not winning at life? When things aren't going your way? When things that are out of your control maybe are, are causing you not to, to win at life? You know, as our people of God, we're called to still continue to sing. We're continue to praise, continue to honor God, whether things are going good or they're going bad. You know, sport is the, the ultimate, you know, the, the fans turning. You know, I was uh, upset last night with many of my fellow brethren were leaving early for the train. Uh, you know, and, and you know, opposition fans love it when, when home fans leave for the train. Uh, you know, they keep asking the question, are you going to the bathroom? It wasn't funny after like the thousandth time. I was like, can you stop? And then I'm like, stop leaving. You know, <laughs> the reality is we're, we're, we're great as people are declaring things from the mountaintops when they're going well. But I believe there's something to be learnt here when things aren't going so well, how we respond as followers of Christ to those situations in our lives. That the way that we live our lives should cause us to respond differently, whether we feel like we're winning or we feel like we can't catch a break. And today we're gonna, we're gonna have a look at a story out of Acts uh, chapter 16. And just to, to kind of paint the beginning of this, Paul and, and Silas, these two guys, they're, they're going through and they're doing ministry of, of, you know, of God. They're, they're around talking about Jesus, telling people uh, about this new way of, of living, that following Christ. Uh, they're doing miracles, they're seeing all these things happen and they encounter uh, this girl in their travels. And she has a spirit inside of her that allows her to, to kind of be able to speak into the future, to kind of tell, uh, you know, words of wisdom and, and things about the future. And so she, she walks around and she does this with this spirit that enslaves her. It says that she's enslaved by this spirit. 
And she begins to give Paul and Silas, his, his uh, psychic, a hard time. And, and she keeps speaking, uh, yelling truths. And really, she was just yelling truths, but she was, she was bothering them as they go. And Paul gets to this point where he kind of goes, I can't take this anymore. And he turns around and he casts out the spirit. And he frees this young girl of this enslavery that she is in. And what we find in this story is that there's the people that uh, kind of, I guess, had guardianship of this young girl, however they'd come across that, she was basically their, their money earner. She was their sense of economy. People would pay the, you know, to have their, their futures told or to have these things brought out. And so it was bringing the money and with their healing and her freedom took away their economy. So this young girl has a miracle in her life. What was enslaving her is taken away. And suddenly their economy is gone and they're not happy about it. And so under false pretenses, they, they go and they say all this stuff about Paul and Silas and they end up in this situation here that we're gonna pick up from. Verse 23, after they were severely beaten, this is Paul and Silas, they are thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them securely. So the jailer placed them in the innermost cell of the prison and had their feet bound and chained. I don't know about you, but this doesn't seem like the appropriate outcome for two guys who just set a girl free from something that had been enslaving her and tormenting her her whole life. They do a good deed. The, the praise that should be uh, given, the things that should be happening should very well be. Look at what has happened here today. This is great. But they find themselves beaten and shackled in prison. And not just placed in prison, not just placed in a cell, not just in the innermost part of the prison, the worst part of the prison. When you, when you look into to what prison was like here, it's the, the middle the, of the, the prison, the, the most locked away for the worst of the worst, the most dangerous, the most feared prisoners who had done the worst things. That had potential if they escaped, terrible things would happen. This is what was reserved for Paul and Silas. Not the, not the outcome they probably would have wanted, definitely not would have wanted, and, probably, and definitely not the outcome that they deserved. They do a good thing, and they end up in the worst part of the worst prison, shackled, beaten, locked away, basically sent to die. Often in, you're in those parts of the prison, it often ends with you, you dying in that place. They committed no real crime at all. Yet this is where they find themselves. I don't know if you've ever been put in prison for doing something wrong or not doing anything wrong at all. I've never been sent to prison under false circumstances, but I wonder if you've ever found yourself in a situation where you feel like that's not the outcome I was hoping for, or that's not the outcome I deserved. I experience this almost on a daily basis uh, with my small child who is three, his name is Boston, and he loves snacks. And Boston will always ask me for snacks, and sometimes I don't wanna get up. I'm like, can you just get the snacks out of the cupboard? Clearly you know where they are, you know what's in there, you know the menu, you just go. And he goes and he, and he gets the snacks, and I sit there and I watch him struggle with his snack packer. Often they're tiny teddies. And, and, and this is the situation we find ourselves in. This decides it perfectly. When your toddler won't let you open their favorite snack, I am not trying to rob you, I'm trying to help you. And the crying therefore intensifies. And so he's having this wrestle, but he knows sometimes there's a dad tax, which involves a chip or a biscuit being the fee for the opening. Often when they're tiny teddies, I'm not interested in the dad tax. They don't really take my fancy, you know. But he... He insists on having a tantrum when I try to help him. I'm like, help, help me to help you. Like it's this, this ongoing battle. Give me the packet and I'll open it, I'll help you. And then he walks away shaking his head and crying. I'm like shaking my head and crying. 
And I look, I'm like, I'm just trying to help you. What is going on? And this is kind of a, a more humorous version of this story, but sometimes this is how it feels, isn't it? When we're trying to do the right thing and it gets flipped on us and we feel like, how did this happen? I often ask myself, with my kid, how did I get here? I had great intentions of helping you. Maybe you work really hard in your job and then suddenly you're made redundant. Maybe you've invested a lot into a friendship and something's happened and that person has kind of maybe thrown it back in your face and left. Maybe there are things that are out of your control. Maybe you've made a mistake somewhere. You, you, you always try to do the right thing and you, one mistake and it feels like the penalty was too harsh. We all in different ways and you will know for you maybe what this looks like. You can find yourself in a place, you're like, how did I get here? This doesn't seem fair. Why did this have to occur? And you know, in these moments, we don't always get to choose the outcome, but we have a solid choice about our response. These guys didn't get to choose where they ended up. They didn't get to choose what part of the jail they ended up in. They didn't get to choose to call their lawyer with their one phone call. They didn't have that. They had no control over their circumstance, but they had 100% control over their response to what was happening. Let's read ahead and kind of see what happens. Verse 25 says this, it says, Paul and Silas, undaunted, prayed in the middle of the night and sang songs of praise to God while all the other prisoners listened to their worship. I love the way that's so nicely put. That undaunted they prayed. I don't know about you, but I don't even know if this is a word. We decided in the first service it was. I would be daunted. Not undaunted. If undaunted is what they were, I would be daunted. I would be freaking out that I was in prison. Kind of being beaten up. And they're like, okay, we're not, we're not, we're not bothered by this. And they begin to pray. And then I look at it and go, the praying, I understand the praying. I'd be like, God, what are you doing? Come get me now. Didn't you see I healed the girl? And I did it in Jesus' name. Can you come get me? This isn't fair. Help. I get the pray. You know what I don't get is the singing and the praising of the hymns that they were singing. That everyone throughout the prison hears them singing these songs. Can you imagine this? You're struggling with your kid. They're throwing it back at you for opening the thing and you're like, all of this for your glory. No way. Like I've just been beaten. All of this for you. Doesn't work. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. Oh, that wouldn't be my attitude if I was in prison. Maybe, just maybe. There's another in the fire standing next to me. That makes sense. Maybe I'd sing that one, maybe. But they're just singing hymns and declaring the goodness of God in the middle of being beaten and thrown in prison with maybe no chance of getting out. No control over their outcome. They're certainly not winning in this situation. Yet they praise and sing hymns to God. Undaunted, unbothered. Confidently. So confident everybody hears them singing their praises. You know what? The world is listening. Whether we think they are or not. It's what God's people are doing and saying. And we can either praise our problems or we can praise our God. You know, when you're in the middle of the problem, it's real easy to praise the problem. It's real easy to talk about how big the problem is, how unfair the problem is, how hard the problem is. It's all true. I'm not here to belittle anyone's problems today. Definitely not my own. What we face sometimes in life are big challenges, big problems, unfair challenges, unfair problems. But we can walk around and we can, we can lift those up. 
and we can praise them, if you will, and we can talk about them. You know what? That's what everybody else does too. Or we praise the one who's bigger than the problem and we put our attention and our focus undaunted onto Jesus. And our eyes go from, oh, here's my problem to, ah, here's Jesus. It doesn't seem so big anymore. It changes our perspective. There's nothing we can do, right? Sometimes there's nothing we can do. But it changes our perspective. It puts our faith in alignment with Jesus. It takes our eyes off what seems so big and puts it on something bigger. Sometimes the choice to praise is actually more about us. Well, it's always more about us. But sometimes it does more for us than anything else. Because it just allows us to believe for something bigger. Praise sometimes is just a massive step of faith, going, I think things could be better. I hope things can be better. I hope I get through this. So I'll look to the one that's gonna help me get through it. This story continues. We'll read a few verses. Suddenly a great earthquake shook the foundations of the prison. All at once every prison door flung open and the chains of all the prisoners came loose. Startled, the jailer woke and saw every cell door standing open. Assuming that the prisoners had escaped, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. When Paul shouted in the darkness, stop, don't hurt yourself, we're all still here. We go to the next slide. The jailer called for a light. When he saw that they were still in their cells, he rushed in and fell trembling at their feet. Then he led Paul and Silas outside and asked, what must I do to be saved? They answered, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and all your family. Then they prophesied the word of the Lord over him and all his family. Even though the hour was late, he washed their wounds. Then he and his family were baptized. He took Paul and Silas into the home, set them at his table and fed them. The jailer and all his family were filled with joy in their newfound faith in God. Isn't that an amazing story when you think about it? These two guys are in this hopeless jail. They choose to put their eyes on Jesus. They choose to praise. They choose to operate out of faith undauntedly believe that their God will do something. And then there's this earthquake. And, I, and I, I find it interesting, the response of the jailer, is he knows that if those prisoners have escaped, ultimately it will cost him his life. That's the way it worked. If they escape, it's on you. You keep them in there. And so he's like, well, I don't want to get punished. It's better that I probably do this myself. And he responds to his hopeless situation with hopelessness. These guys respond to their hopeless situation with praise. He goes for the hopeless answer. And Paul shouts out, stop, don't. Who knows how he even saw? Like the jailer had to go get this light and shine it in there to make sure everyone was still there. Paul saves his life. And the guy's left with no other response. He knows, probably knows the reputation of Paul and Silas, that they're men of God, this is what they're doing. They walk around and miracles happen and they're telling people about Jesus. And he looks and goes, there's no other answer to this, just tell me, what do I have to do? What do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do to have what you have? And they're like, just believe, and they, they go. And then this guy who's responsible for their entrapment, responsible for their punishment, responsible for inflicting pain on them, is the very one washing the wounds that were caused by him and his mates from entrapping them in the first place. And then they baptize him, and then they sit around the table and they have a meal. Their praise in this place has changed their situation, but it's also changed the situation of someone else and their family. You know, I think sometimes we can get caught in our hopelessness. I know this can sometimes be for me. I get caught up so much in the problem that it just seems so impossible to solve, so I'm happy just to live with it there. Happy to go, this is part of me now. 
this thing, this giant mountain, this rock that's right my way. It's just how it's going to be. Begin to speak it out. Well, this is what's going to happen. I guess this is life now. Yes, it doesn't get any better than this. I hoped it would, but I feel like I'm stuck here, so I'm just going to... They didn't do that. And the whole situation was changed. See, but God is always wanting to do something. He's always up to something. There's always a chance for a, for a move of God. But are, are we there looking, waiting, hoping for him to come and do something? Or we just fixated on the mountain? You know, one of the things you, you hear, and I, I, I say this all the time. I'm trying to get to a place where I don't. Why did this happen? Like I say it all the time. Like I had a, a problem this week. and I was like, why did this have to happen? Why did this happen to me? Why now? Why? Why is life so hard? Why is this happening? You hear people say it all the time, why? And sometimes it's a great question because we can't explain it. But the focus for me, I don't, I don't want it to be on the why is this happening. I want it to be on the what is God going to do through this? What is this thing that God is going to work through to change the situation? And there is a reason for our why. There is a reason we go through these things and sometimes you see them straight away. Sometimes you can, you know, I'll just mess something up. I'm like, yep, there was a consequence for that and that's the reason why. It's really easy to see. But it's not always that clear. But you know, the the beauty of the, the why in this story is actually the miracle isn't for those two men. It was actually for the jailer and his family. Sometimes we, we want the, the breakthrough and the miracle and the, the answer and the hope and we go, yep, that's gonna result in what I can see, which would be me going, I'm just gonna get out of jail now. But let, let's just pick up this last verse in, in 35. At daybreak, the magistrate sent the officers to the prison with the orders to tell the jailer, let those two men go. The jailer informed Paul and Silas, magistrates have sent orders to release you so you are free to go now. The magistrates didn't go to the jailer's house where they're in an Airbnb, kind of chilling out of jail. It didn't happen in the middle of the night, so they didn't just head back there and be like, hey, we're here to greet you, you can go now. They went back to the prison. So another miracle happens, and then they're back in the prison. They don't get their release to the next day. So when you ask, what was the miracle for? The miracle wasn't to get them out of jail. I'm convinced when the earthquake was on, Paul would have been running for the hills, which I probably would have been too. Like, yeah, this is what we were praying for, let's go. But the miracle was actually for someone else. Their breakthrough still came, but it came the next day when they had the ability to be released from the prison. Sometimes the mountain that is in the way, that thing that seems immovable, that thing that we seem like we cannot shift, ends up becoming the very thing that we have the ability to stand on top of. And it becomes a foundation for what God has done in us and what he wants to do through us. See, sometimes our problems, they're doing something in us. But often God wants to take them and do something through us. And the miracle that we were looking for actually isn't just for us, but it's also for someone else. I'm gonna invite the, the team to come up and join us and we're gonna sing, uh, sing some songs together in, in a few moments. And you know, I was thinking uh, back to, to one of the times where this, this became really relevant for me. I was a, a chaplain in a high school and I, and I love that. I love the outdoor ed classes. I love the surfing, the snorkeling. I even like used to dabble in the cooking classes because, you know, I'd be hungry from the snorkeling. So then, you know, we'd make some pikelets or something. I'd be set for the day. I enjoyed working in the canteen, funnily enough. They'd feed me. See the thread here, you know. 
It was great. But I remember that part of the job was to sit in the office and just talk with kids. Hey, what do you, you know, what's up? What brings you here today? Oh, I'm going through this thing. Okay, well, let's, let's try and work out. I'd encourage them or refer them to someone who was qualified to help them, you know? And I used to enjoy that, but, you know, sometimes it used to be a struggle. And, and you know, you hear some difficult things. And it's, for me, there was this part of my life that growing up, I'd had this question, why, why is it life like this? Why, why is it like this? Why did I go through that? Why did it have to be like that for me? Why, like, I don't understand. Like, I look at other things and go, well, why, why couldn't I have that or, or, or whatever? This kid comes in and he sits down. I'm like, what brings you here today? And he, he begins to talk. And some of what he says begins to resonate with me. And, and I go, I reckon you'll get through this. I don't know why I said that, but he, I did. And he goes, what do you know? Love teenagers, so honest. What do you know? What do you know sitting in your chair as leather? <laughs> and I'm like, hey man, like your story sounds a lot like my story. He's like, I don't believe you. Like I see your life. I see your photos on your wall. I see all this stuff. I don't believe you. Like, let me share some stuff. I mean, share stuff. He's like, nah, not true. Like, here's my phone. You can just call anyone. Like, I'm bargaining with a teenager. I'm like, you call anyone in there and ask them that. They'll, they'll tell you. Anyone that knows me, you can pick it. And he's like, well, what, you know, like, what happened? And so I began to be able to share some of the steps that I began to take. This very thing that was the biggest why in my life, the biggest challenge, the biggest thing that seemed like it would never move, no matter how much I'd run in against it, became the answer for somebody else. That he was able to see hope in that situation. He's able to go, well, if he could do it, I could do it. That if he got through it, I'd be able to get through it. What did you do? And I was able to share some things that were practically helpful. And he walked out of there that day and still had a giant mountain in his way. But actually he knew that at some point he'd be able to stand on top of that thing. You know, sometimes the why is for someone else. But you know what that did in me as well? Is it gave me a sense of, I know what my calling is right now. I know why I'm here. I know that God has placed me here. I know that I can make a difference because of what he's done in me. So there's a miracle for me, but there's a miracle for someone else. And that's what this becomes about. It's this great quote uh, I read this week and I, and I kind of want to wrap up with this. And it says this, it says, I think God sometimes uses the completely inexplicable events in our lives to point us towards him. We get to decide each time whether we will lean in toward what is unfolding and say yes or back away. The folks who were following Jesus in Galilee got to decide the same thing each day because there was no roadmap, no program, no certainty. All they had was this person, an idea, and an invitation to come and see. You know, for us, I feel like it's not always that, that much different. We have an invitation to be a part of what God is doing in this world, to make our lives a part of His story to allow Him to work in us and through us. And sometimes there is no roadmap, or pretty much never. You know, sometimes you know, it feels like I, I, I'm wrestling whether I feel like this thing is, is real. And, and, and... But you know what? There's an invitation just to be a part of it. And, and I love those words, lean in or back away. I want to be the kind of follower of Jesus that goes, you know what? This, this, this thing sucks right now, but I'm going to lean in. I'm going to lean in and know that I can rise above it I'm gonna place my focus on Jesus. I'm gonna praise him. I'm not gonna praise my problem. I'm not gonna raise it up. I'm not gonna allow it to be any bigger than what it already is. But I'm gonna be allowing the one who there is nothing too small or big for to help get me through this. It doesn't get any smaller if you walk away from it. But you know what? As we lean in, he takes us and we ascend above that. 
and move into what he has for us. We're going to sing this great song in a, in a moment's time. It's called Highlands. It's pretty much this whole message in a, in a six-minute song. And it speaks into this, just this exact thing. You would have heard me use this, this line this morning, when the mountain's in the way. This is what it talks about. I'll praise him when the mountain is in the way. And I love that picture, those words, when the mountain is in the way. Because it's in the way right now. But in the way makes me feel like it could be moved. Or it will maybe at some point no longer be in the way. Sometimes it's a quick journey. Sometimes it's a massive mountain you've got to climb. Sometimes it's just a boulder that you might need some help moving out of the way. But the reality for us is we make that choice to lean in and praise God. Eventually we can ascend that problem. And He will do a work in us and I believe He'll do a work through us that changes us and changes others. And so this morning, I just want to give you the invitation as we sing this song. I don't know what your problems are today. I don't know if you feel like maybe you're like, you're not even talking to me. I'm like standing on the top of this mountain. I got no problems at all. What a great reason to praise God. But you know, if you're anything like me, maybe you've got a few problems in your life that you're wrestling with. Maybe a few mountains that feel like they're kind of in the way. These are some great truths to declare. That He is bigger than my problems. That when I'm in the lowest of the low or the highest of the high, I'm gonna to choose to praise Him. I'm gonna praise Him when the mountain feels like it's in the way and allow Him to do the work in me so that I can ascend above that. And that very thing that I thought I would never be able to move out of the way, I stand on top of. And I declare the goodness and the greatness of God because He has done something in me and I want Him to do something through me as well. Could we stand together? I'd love to pray for us. We're gonna sing this great song. And as I'm praying this morning, I'm just conscious that if that, that God's presence is here and if you would like, uh, maybe you're, you're, you're feeling like you're going through one of those mountain in the way kind of moments. Maybe there's a problem that just feels like it's so great that there's a struggle to overcome that. Maybe you could just open your hands out. I'd love to just pray that you would receive something from, from God's Spirit in this moment, that He would meet with you that you would understand that you can praise no matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult it seems, no matter how impossible the challenge is, that you would have a moment with God in this place this morning that will allow you to shift your eyes from what is right in front of you to who He is and what He wants to do in your life today. God, we thank You for each hand that's open this morning. And I just pray that by Your Spirit, You would meet each person here in this place that your presence is, is here with us, that you're always here with us. And it doesn't matter what we face or, or how big the challenge seems or how immovable the mountain seems. Then when we fix our attention on you, you don't leave us or desert us, but you lead us through that time. So God, I pray for each person. You know their problems. You know every detail of their life. You know their ups. You know their downs. You know their problems. And Lord, I believe that you have the answers. And so God, in this moment, may we learn to praise you no matter what the situation or the circumstance. And as we praise you, may we find you in the midst of those things. And those things that seem like they might be the end of us would be the very thing we stand on top of. And become that story of your goodness and your greatness and your breakthrough in our lives and in the lives of others. May our praises be heard by those in our workplaces, in our homes, in our communities, do a work in our hearts this morning. Shift our attention and our focus to you. We praise and we worship. Come on, can we sing this together?